Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Hey, hey, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Sussex Squad, wherever you are. Um, good morning, good I afternoon. Sussex Squad Nation. Oh my God, it's been a long week. It has been a long week. Sussex Squad Nation, happy Sunday, and I hope all you guys are well, doing great. What a weather we have the past week, although Crazy. it's a bit cold this morning. So, um, how are you guys doing? It has been a crazy week. And it feels like, honestly, it feels like a month encapsulated in just seven days. But, uh, as always, nothing to really complain about. Happy to be above ground. Grateful for everything. Grateful to be here with the two of you again. Talking about some of the most important things uh, going on right now. What about you, Charles? Yeah, it is, uh, yeah, busy as always, uh, tired, been beat up, but good, just like physically exhausted. You should see the other guy. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, no, otherwise just, just all good and, uh, you know, happy to see spring, happy to have some nice warm weather, uh, but it's uh, a little schizophrenic lately, been very hot and then cold and then hot, so it hasn't quite figured out what it wants to do yet, but still. Um, you know, flowers are coming. Well, thank you guys for joining me. How are again. you doing? Um, how am I doing? I don't know. I don't know how I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just flying. <laughs> Running on caffeine. There we go. <laughs> Running on caffeine, and um, we have a packed show today. Well, not so packed. <laughs> Packed lots lots in as quick a time as possible. There you go. Sussex Squad Nation, how are you guys doing wherever you are? Because what a news we have this week that seems to send everybody like crazy. People were crazy. Just gonna That's say the only way to, to describe it. You called it. You did call it. I don't know if it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. You said... I think he has to go. I think he's gonna go. You are well, right. Well, well, well. We'll 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 discuss that a little bit later because you know even in the squad um, there was a lot of sort of disagreement whether should he should he have stayed or not staying. But we'll talk about it all. But we did promise everyone that we are going to talk about the green men, and so I think. We hold them to do that. But before you, we, we get into deep into the service, um, I think it's important that, you know, we check to, with our, our listeners and see what they, what kind of message, what are they talking about? Indeed, as, as always. Um, wonderful comments. Thank you, everyone, for all of the comments last week as well. Um, there's a few of them to, to call out and read right now, especially as uh, as we get into the, the promised uh, continued conversation of the green man uh, and building off everything we spoke about uh, last week. Uh, so the first one is from Moonstone, who said, Charles has given over his power to Camilla. <clears throat> and he's the reason why we're here at this point in history. Narcissists, believe it or not, are easily manipulated by those who know their weaknesses, and that is why heirs are raised as narcissists, a requirement, it seems, of a monarchical personality. For Charles, it's the lack of love and reassurance from his parents, namely his mother, that has shaped him, 
and Camille has always given Charles what his mother could slash would not, love and reassurance. She has a psychological hold on him, in my view, and is the mother he never had. Wow. This is this is really incredible. Well written. And the slight dig. Totally at, agree. The slight, maybe not so slight dig at, at uh, William as well, huh? That's right. Is it, do we have any more? Or? Yeah, we know we've got our three. Um, the next one's from Lola Love, who thanked us for the podcast and then said, uh, regarding your discussion on symbolism, when I first saw the invitation, the very first thing I noticed was the placement of Camilla's name on the same line adjacent to King Charles and listed as Queen Camilla. From what I understand, being a queen consort, her name should have been listed under King Charles's name, not beside his name. That's right. I was wondering, was this placement meant to symbolize her intent to rule in equal power as King Charles? Will she be the real voice behind the king? Huh. Important that is questions. the question. Yeah. Very important question. All right. So what's the last one? And our last uh, comment to call out for this week was from Cynthia Steer, who wrote... Sussex Sunday. I am not surprised that Charles, as an adulterer, is head of the Church of England since it was one of his relatives, King Henry VIII, who was already married, formed the Anglican Church in order to marry his mistress. So Charles feels entitled to follow that tradition. That is so wonderful because we will touch, you know, um, on that a little bit later on as well. Um, hopefully it's not going to be a very long show um, the Sunday, because I think it's fair to say all of us here are just um, incredibly um, exhausted from our regular day-to-day work. And um, for me, literally, I have not slept for a couple of days now. been doing a lot of research, doing a lot of things um, that just keep me awake. And that's not included just listening to Royal Sussex, who just celebrate his two years anniversary. Mm. Oh, my God. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah. Will Baron. Yes, yes, yes. We still don't know how you do it. Tell us. (laughs) Truly. I need some of his energy. I really do. I really really need his energy because he just go on and on and on and on. It's like he's always fresh. I mean, we barely can keep our eyes open and knows what the heck we're talking about. But he he just on it. So um, congratulations, Baron. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so let's get the service start. Oh, oh, of course, we have to do what we do every week. Let everyone knows that. Exactly. Go exactly. Ahead. And I think the one other thing to add to the disclaimer this week is that I actually really do like what we're doing with the continued discussion on on some of the subjects from last week because I think especially in the pace of the world today and the pace of the news cycle there's frequently feels like there's not enough time to talk about something in depth because you have to go over the new thing the new thing the new thing the new thing um, and sometimes we lose sight of how important it is to go deeper and spend some more time thinking thinking deeply specifically about a given topic, which sometimes means you can't be always focused on just what the breaking news is, but on what you think is important. So I think that's a- absolutely absolutely. It's 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 incredible that you you actually say something like that because I was just about to do that intro. You know, once we get the service, I started. stole your thunder. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. So let um go ahead. 
Yeah, no, so the disclaimer, just as always, we're not experts. We don't claim to be. We're not here to convince anyone to change their beliefs or their religion. What we are here to do is to share what we believe and what we hold to be important, uh, and that is that words have meaning. Words are important, that they need to be considered. They need to be thought through critically, uh, and especially in the context of everything that is going on in the world today and the work that we see Harry and Meghan doing um, and how they are trying to make the world a better place and how what, what we can do, just hear from the other side of the microphone talking about words to help uh, potentially support them in their effort to make the world a better place. Absolutely, absolutely. And we are also here in the front line actually checking people out, you know, and not letting them get away with it. This is a new day now. It's a new day. So let's get the service started. Well, 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 Sussex Squad Nation supporters, Charles and George, we don't have a lot of words this week. Next week will be something different. But for this week, we will continue with the word symbol, which we already went through last week. And we'll continue in that conversation specifically when it comes to the green man. But our next word, and the only add-on word, uh, after assembled, will be rest. So, let's get started again with symbol. And I hope you were with us last week when we discussed, or at least started discussing symbols, and we didn't really get a chance to really get in deep into it and we wanted to do it again because I think it, I think it defines symbol really define what we are seeing what is happening and really all part of our life when it comes to um, politicians <laughs> kings and queens in the world right uh, it's all made of symbols symbol is such a major and how that impact us you know from the beginning. And so we wanted to take our time and actually dive deeply as much as we can in a busy, busy Sunday uh, and revisit that same symbols and then we'll get in, into rest. So who would like to start? Would you like to start, Charles? Well, if you like, I mean, we can... Do, should I read... The definitions again, just to sure, remind just, people. Yes, to remind. Why don't we just do that? That way people can just kind of uh, set the basis of the conversation. So first of all, a symbol in terms of a noun was first used in the 15th century and is from the late la uh, late Latin, actually, uh, and then also from late Greek. And literally what it means is a token of identity verified by comparing its, uh, other, ha comparing its other half. So it's basically as to compare is what it's kind of, uh, what it stems from. So the latest and kind of most recent definitions are first, it's an authoritative summary of a faith or doctrine, or some may call it a creed. Uh, the second definition is something that stands for or suggests something else by reason of relationship, association, convention, or accidental re uh, resemblance, especially a visible sign of something that happens to be invisible. Uh, the fourth is an object that represents an act, uh, something that is unconscious mind that has been repressed. Uh, 
Um, and then finally, uh, an act, sound, or object having cultural significance and the capacity to excite or objectify a response. Mm. So those are all kind of the latest definitions of what a symbol happens to be. And I think if we all just kind of sit back and, and, <clears throat> and take stock of what uh, we currently see on a day-to-day basis, um, I think we all have to realize that symbols are everywhere. Absolutely. And so certainly, you know, the coronation and what was going on in the invitation is without a doubt no different. Um, there was quite a lot of symbology just represented in those few things. But I think it's also important just to kind of take a step back and realize, okay, well, where else do you actually see these things? And so, for instance, when you start thinking of government, the government just generally uses them a lot. And specifically, the ones that jump out to me most are actually on our currency. So Uh symbols are just kind of everywhere. And I think it's interesting because what it does is that it kind of it roots you in um, where you're coming from. Right. And I think that's also important because that's basically your perspective. It's your past that you're referencing. What's actually important and what values do you hold? And then those symbols basically help retain and are kind of implicit in that, um, that understanding. That's right? right. So that's how you ground yourself and what these things mean. So you can look at it in, your, in, the, in the dollar bills or any of the currency that happens to be of date. You can look at it in religion. You can look at it in a lot of different things. But the whole point of these symbols is basically an unspoken truth of that's what it is. And so it helps kind of supplant itself in your consciousness, even though you may not necessarily even realize it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's uh, a very interesting um, aspect of what symbols actually do. It's that um, subconscious almost subliminal messaging that you kind of throw at or that people throw at you kind of every single day that you have to kind of really pay attention to because you can just kind of fall right in line with what it is that they're trying to sell you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's incredible that you say that because I was listening to Baron um, this week, like I often do. And then one of the discussion was about very often, sometimes they will do like that quick mention about the queen and it's amazing, but it's very subtle, but yet is a tend to do something because the symbolic of the queen, but I like the queen. And when you heard that word, you know what I mean? But I like the queen. It symbolized something in people's mind. And so it's incredible that you say, you say, you say that. So come on, continue, please. No, I think that that's, um, I think you're both exactly on point and just to kind of quickly recap some of the things that we were talking about in last week's episode and i for anyone who didn't get a chance to listen to it i hope that you do just because it was at least for us it was a very interesting conversation to talk about uh symbols specifically and how they relate uh, in particular through media and how important media is in defining our our honest to god reality that we live in today um but one of the things that we we mentioned as um charles is really just was uh, articulating himself is from a article by Michael Walzer, which was basically saying that politics is the act of unification of man with man or man with another, with, with like something greater than himself, whether it's society or God or whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important tools of doing that is actually symbolic representation because it can give definition. It can give tangibility to things that are otherwise not even visible. And so it is an incredibly important thing that, exactly as Charles just said, is something that frequently goes unconsidered 
because it is sort of subliminal. It is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how images even work, that how they kind of relate to this part of our mind that we don't even realize is there uh, in, in terms of how we construct frameworks of meaning through which we understand the world. So there's these incredibly powerful things that unite us with each other and with our government and with our religion that are these symbols that are coming at us and they have this incredible impact on ourselves uh, on each of us and sometimes we don't even really give uh, get a chance to think about it. <clears throat> I think the um the mention of currency is is really interesting especially given the the context of what's happening with uh, the British currency in particular with the with the change that's going on. Uh, but it also uh, highlights for me anyway, the importance of the different ways in which symbols are used at different points in time in different formats. Because on the one hand, symbols used in currency are incredibly powerful because there is such a repetition of when they are seen. It's constant. Every time you see a given currency, you're going to see the symbols that are used in it. And, and currency is used all the time in, in our daily lives, just from transactions here and there for whatever it is. It's it's constant. But on the other hand, the other end of the spectrum, you have something like the invitation to the coronation. And the last one of yeah. those was 70 years ago. And so it's one of those things where there's not going to be that repetition like you have with currency. But that actually, maybe the fact that it's not so repetitive and it is that once-in-a-lifetime thing, it's this momentous single document uh, gives the symbols that are used in it that much more importance and prominence. Well, thank you uh, for walking us right through into it because that brings us here to point one. And uh, point one is the fact, the invitation, what the invitation, you know, um, represent the green man, right? And beside the green man, we have the announcement of the new queen or the, the, the woman that will be queen, that will be called queen, that will no longer be princess consult. She will not be called queen consult. She will be queen. So how should we look at this invitation that said so much, although the media like us to believe it was just daffodils and pretty colors. But it was a lot more than that. We have an image that dated really, really, really far back and have so much. What was the reason you think they used that kind of symbols, and what is the meaning behind it? What what, what did that attain? Who they were they shouting out and say, "Yes, I'm here. I'm represent. I got you." Well, to not answer your question, but to <laughs> to add a layer to it of how we how we continue to talk about it and think about it, I think it's it's also interesting to think about um what we know to be true all of us especially given uh some of the, the work that we've done whether it's um whether it's in politics or if it's in communications or if it's in business or if it's in 
any sort of way, professional capacity, you think frequently about how different groups of people are going to respond to a, a given thing. Uh, and so knowing that people have different backgrounds, they have different contexts, they have different world, lived world experiences, and so they'll receive information in different ways. Uh, and that, that way you may actually think about communications as communicate one, one thing that you put out there, meaning different things to different groups of people. And so I think to what you're asking, Lady Sussex, it's also interesting to think not just what is the invitation uh, and the symbolism present in it mean generally, but how do we also think about it in terms of were they communicating, what was it communicating to different groups of uh, people throughout society? That's right. And I know you have some really interesting things that, you know, you find out, which we didn't get a chance to get in onto last week. Would you like to walk us through? Sure. Yeah, there's actually it's a it's a very interesting thing. The history of the of the green man. Um, there is an article uh, that kind of did a bit of an investigative work from the New Yorker. And I know uh, we all love the New Yorker. Um, and one of the things that they talked about was how it's really had a quite an evolution in meaning over time, especially over the last 50 years. Uh, and we'll get into some of its origins. But one of the things that kind of st stood out from that article was that it has specifically become, in the last 50 years, a countercultural icon. And, mm -hmm. and what does that mean for something to be countercultural is, is important for us to think about. Um, and it's this kind of recasts um, this folkloric imagery into something that kind of stands against the, the general flow of, of society. So there was this is a festival in Wales, for instance. There was also... Uh, its use in uh, actually Burning Man, the festival. And so this, uh -huh. this idea is something that's completely opposite of corporate. It's not business. It's not, you know, the, the mainstream society. It's, it's opposite of that. So I think right. that's an interesting evolution for it. A, uh, another uh, interesting tidbit about it is from Historic UK. Uh, and is actually getting back to where it came from uh, because it's uh, an example of how uh, images from the old religion, so paganism, how they were brought into churches uh, before the Reformation. That's right. Uh, and it's actually considered to be one of the most ancient of the pagan symbols that you can find throughout the Christian church today. Mm -hmm. And they call it specifically, and I think this is something we'll spend some time talking about, that uh, it's not just any old symbol, but it is one that is specifically tied to uh, the ideas of death and rebirth and that green means life. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, Charles, would you like to add on onto that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting just in terms of the symbology behind it and then also, um, like, the actual root of it, right? So, like, you have the essence of, like, where it stands today, which is more counterculture, as George had mentioned, which you can't get any more, like, corporate or, or currently present as like the royal family they're the they're, they're the establishment they're the very definition of establishment and for something to be counter that and the fact that it's actually on the wedding invitation i think is honestly just some sort of mind-boggling disassociation from reality because they can't be any more than you know any more part of society than what they are so that thing i just kind of find uh ironic to its core and then also I've been doing some thinking about the idea behind it being pagan 
And then the fact that it's pagan, the fact that it's actually on the royal invitation, whereas as a part of the coronation is the fact that King Charles will be the head of the church, which again is kind of contradictory to paganism just generally. So I find that again, you know, the irony is also quite thick there. And then I, I was also start thinking a little bit more about, okay, well, how often do, because it does actually happen quite often, is that the pagan religion and pagan items and totems are actually combined within current Christianity and other religions as well. And so the, you know, the, the, um, the melding between these two things I thought was also kind of interesting. Well, actually, on, on that point specifically, the, it's, it's even more uh, deliberate and intentional than kind of a melding that, that can that one might think, oh, well, they, people kind of live next to each other, and so their ideas got uh, brought together and combined. Uh, there's an interesting um, passage actually from Bede, uh, who was an English monk, in the monastery of St. Peter right, right, right. Uh, in the kingdom of Northumbria. And he actually wrote to um, the Romans, to the emperor, he said, tell Augustine that he should by no means destroy the temples of the gods, but <laughs> rather the idols within those temples. Thus, seeing that their places of worship are not destroyed, the people will banish error from their hearts, come to places familiar and dear them in acknowledgement and worship of the true God. He goes on to say further, since it has been their custom to slaughter oxen and sacrifice, they should receive some solemnity in exchange. Thus, if they are not deprived of all exterior joys, they will more easily taste the interior ones. For surely, this is the important part, for surely it is impossible to efface all at once everything from their strong minds. Just as when one wishes to reach the top of a mountain, he must climb by stages and step by step, not by leaps and bounds. And so they were very intentional about actually blending the pagan traditions with the Christian ones so that they would be more readily adopted by uh, the local people who were pagan to begin with. And so that, and especially thinking about that passage, what he's writing is it's the use of symbolism, the use of whether it's ritualistic symbols or the actual symbols of religion in, insofar as that what the temple was, um, all of those things, that is something that is Something that's important for all of us to think about today in terms of how the symbols that we see being used, what does that actually mean? <laughs> Who, who's blending what symbols where and, and to what end? Okay, great. I'm glad. I mean, so is it fair now for me to actually say that King Charles is getting ready with his queen to redefine what the church is and I am asking that question because although I agree with him in some aspect of one interview that I find when I was doing research in 1994 that where he says that he wanted to represent the fate not just well, just, faith. No, not no, not no, well, the, but, the opposite. He wanted to represent faith. Faith, yes, not, not the faith. faith. Correct, right. correct. Thank you for correcting me on that. Again, I'm sorry, Sussex Red Nation, because I'm very heavily caffeinated and no sleep at all. Yeah, so, if our voices sound different, it's the combination of heavy doses of caffeine and heavy doses of allergy medicine. Oh, <laughs> the tell me about it. And so I would love to play this clip for them that will explain 
why we are asking the question we are asking right now. So in listening to what he said, right, one can agree with, especially these days, right? But we also hear from the last docuseries that we watched, this man say this. Let's play it. So what is about to happen here? Is it going to be redefine what the faith is, what the Church of England is? I'm sorry, I think I, I, I bump onto my mic. So is he about is that what he's about to do? Is that the reason why there's not a conversation? Because he mentioned about Henry VIII, which is probably was in the same situation that he found himself in, right? But so he casually mentions, well, he only did it because he wanted to get remarried, blah, 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 blah. So now we find ourselves where we are with him and the Queen Kamala, Queen Consort Kamala. So is he about to redefine what it is to be the Church of England? The Church of England, it's getting ready to redefine itself. Is that what we are seeing here? Well, see, that's the differences, is because I think there's there's two things happening simultaneously. And I think it actually goes back to the personality of Charles. He's a narcissist at heart. And so a narcissist only thinks of themselves. Right. And because he only thinks of himself, he only thinks of what his role and what he wants to provide the church but not what the church is actually expecting from him. So what he's basically saying is the fact that, you know what? This is my belief. What I believe is this. I believe that all faiths are good faiths and that they all basically represent the divine and that, you know, I can agree with that and this is what it is. Without actually understanding that he actually has a responsibility given his position to a particular faith. And as a result of that, there's ways and things that he has to do in order to kind of well he manage break all rules and get away with it but so that's why that's not? but that's my point my point is is that as a narcissist you feel that you're entitled and right to break anything that you want when in fact actually he does have this responsibility okay and so he's just ignored that responsibility and said he's just plowing straight on and that's what he's doing but what was the reason for the green man what is it that he's tried to say is it a faith thing or is there's more into that green man well it's an, it's yeah i think it's i think there's probably a lot into it i think that also goes to what i was sort of mentioning before and i think it probably mean, is meant to mean multiple things to multiple different groups of people i think it, what's interesting to your question um, what is about to happen to the Church of England? I think that's a question that's probably not been sufficiently asked over the past year, year and a half or so, because Charles is obviously, as you you looked up and saw in the documentary, is fairly clear in what his beliefs are and what he wants to be, and so for that not to be more thoroughly revisited as this time now approaches, where he's about to be, um. Uh, go through the coronation 
that's it's a little odd that it's not more um in the in the limelight because of how important that is but i also think it's one of those things that's interesting maybe for another maybe for another show another service when we have a little bit more time but this the distinction of uh the faith or the faith um and also religion um because i think that there's i mean not that i think there's very clearly two different things at play there and so there's the church of england as an institution um and regardless of the faith even if you just separate the uh, the faith side of that from the church of england what is the church of england in its relation to stability and identity and geopolitics of great britain and if that's about to change, because I think there was a mention even in the docu series of if he if he uh, abandons his role as the head of the it's Church of England, mm-hmm. then the Pope can come back and, and make some claims. So there's a lot of even outside of the the beliefs themselves and and what one person believes or doesn't believe, just the institution itself um, of the Church of England is is something worth thinking about the implications of what a change Charles might bring could do. So is there anything more that you can tell us about the Green Man? Well, it's actually interesting just in terms of my own perspective on it. Because what you also have in, again, that's what symbols do, is like they harken back to history, right? And so the Green Man basically come from paganism. Paganism at the time was basically from the Druids. And that's more or less kind of where they came from. They were very much, and that's what Druids were all about. They were all about being in touch with nature. It was all about Stonehenge. It was basically, that's who they were. It was it's, it was how they, they worshipped in their religion. They so, should think that they were used to be witches as well, too. Right. Well, that's part of Druidism. That's just part of their religion, yeah. So... So it, I just I also just find it interesting about that note that from a historical perspective he may put that on there, uh, in terms of okay referencing back to kind of jolly old England, but at the same point, like he's doing that in ref he's doing that on an invitation that he's going to be literally anointed in the very contrast that surplanted that religion. But was he sending so. or was she sending a message? Because the placement and the announcement of Kamala Bowles, who will be soon the ex-mistress to the power of being queen of England, was placed directly in the middle was it she who was sending a signal? Because for me at this point, there is no question in my mind, and this is my opinion, that she is ruling thing. She is in control. It's one of the things where, yes, maybe perhaps from all I know that, you know, Charles, you know, decided as most mistress when the kings, they choose their mistress, it have to be someone that was married, right? Because they want to still have the more power. Supposedly that, you know what, he had issues with Princess Diana because she was too popular. She was too beautiful. She was this. She was everything that she was. And if you try to compare Kamala, doesn't even come close. But it was it that, you know, at the same token, sometime when you think you're beating somebody and that person has actually beating you and beat you in your own game and the way this woman 
have played her game for the last 50 years to get to where she is. It was not for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. She stays in the game as long as she did for a reason. And after you read the, you know, Harry's memoir, Prince Harry's memoir, you're really studying having an understanding what this woman have been doing. Because you would like to think that, you know, she take a place of this incredible woman that she would have been a great sort of, you know, stepmom or whatever, sort of, have, you know, try to stay away from anything like this. It's almost like she didn't care. It's almost like she's here for vengeance of some sort. As if like there was some bad thing done to her. And that's the part that I've never quite understand. When you hear what she has done to both of the boys and didn't really care about their feelings about anything at all and one stop to nothing and the press allowed her to get away with all of it. You have to ask the question, what is at play here? Who is actually really in control? Because for many people, who have seen and used to say that the queen was just a face, a figure. And you have Charles, who many people believe that who was in control. But the question is, was it Charles? Was Charles ever in control? Well, I think you have to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. Charles is king or will be king when he's coronated. He was prince and he was, you know, so he, he that is his title. That is his responsibility. That is basically the, the, the right of his birth. So he has that control. The question is, is who's in control of Charles? So I don't think Camilla's in control of the institution. I think that she could be in control of the institution through Charles because I do think that she has a hold on him that that goes deep and pure. So, and, you know, I think there's, I mean, even the comment that, um, that George read earlier about the fact that basically, you know, it was the mother that she never, that he never had and all those other things and, you know, and the inadequacies that she tries to, to take over for him. So that's who she is. And I think through that, I mean, you can see the outcome of it. I agree with that assessment. But the problem that I have, we have a media who so unforgiving and that I, unless they had something in there, there is no way they would have allowed her to get away with as much as she have. Well, that, well, that's. I think that's the. I think that's it. I think that's exactly right. Because to your point, Charles, maybe yes, and technically, Charles, King Charles, will be king. Um, but if it is so obvious to so many people that 
Camilla has control over him, then it is certainly obvious to those who have vastly more resources and interest in managing that state of affairs to say, okay, well, if Camilla's in charge of Charles, then why am I even going to bother dealing with Charles? And effectively puts her in control of the institution as well. And, and, and however else that manifests itself through relationships with the rest of the corporate sector and the media and everything else. So it ends up not really being a distinction, but I think to go back to your, your, your question, Lady Sussex, the use of the green man on the invitation there to to even just take one step back i think there's also so much noise in and everyone knows there's so much noise in the media that's meant to distract and there's honestly and this is part of the problem there's academics there's historians there's all of these figures that you don't even know where they're necessarily coming from in terms of what they're putting out there but there's people debating whether or not this thing is actually pagan i know <laughs> and that's honestly crazy it's honestly crazy because there's it, it doesn't make any sense to say, oh, this is somehow suddenly a Christian thing. There's there's uh, one of these um, articles was looking at actually Lady Raglan, who was the one who coined the term, technically not really coined the term, but coined it at least for this uh, recurring uh, imagery that was found throughout churches and everything else, and noted that um, in many churches, it was actually the sole decoration. And you're thinking, if there's going to be a single decoration in a mm-hmm. in a in a religious building wouldn't you think that it'd be the image that was most important or most dear or at least highly important to their belief system and and what they're thinking about and for it to be this green man this vined face uh rather than anything else from a christian perspective that you typically associate with christian uh symbolism and imagery um that is significant meaning in terms of how those uh the pagan tradition was deliberately blended into Christianity. Um, and it does, it, it has real significance in terms of the way that we understand how symbols, symbols have been deliberately used to wield power over groups of people. So that's on the one hand, so, okay, cut through all the noise. It's clearly pagan. It's clearly has this meaning of death and rebirth and this sort of change. Um, and there's also, I think, as you, you mentioned, Lady Sussex, there's some, sometimes there's this talk of, oh, well, it's just very nice. Oh, it's springy. Oh, it's flowers. Oh, it's pretty. Oh, what? Daffodil. This is, this is the invitation to an event that has not happened in 70 years. There's not a single bit of ink on that thing that is not very thoroughly thought out and thought through and very deliberate with many purposes behind it. So... The use of that image, which is definitively pagan, definitively associated with death and rebirth. That's and right. to your point, corresponding with the elevation of, quote-unquote, Queen Camilla to the same level as Charles, uh, I think it also is just goes back to what many of our listeners have commented, which is what is actually happening when you think about what Camilla's doing? What is it that she's doing with relation to her children? What the, the coincidences that we know that we don't we're not supposed to believe in coincidences as it relates to the timing of when she was with Charles and when she became pregnant and gave birth to her children and, and what that may Im- have uh, in terms of implications on uh, challenges to the line of succession. All of those things are so clearly at the forefront. It's it's something we talked about a couple of weeks ago of uh, Occam's razor. It's if right. <laughs> just the 
combine all the things that you know to be true, and then the simplest explanation is most likely the the real one. Yeah. Okay, so now that you know we were able to have an idea and somewhat understanding, what are the risks of these symbols as they were presenting it? What is the risk now they find themselves? And so how should we look at the word risk? So looking at everything we just saying, what type of risk they are taking by presenting this symbol and the symbol of head to head the king and queen what is the risk they are taking how should we look at this word charles risk sure so uh, risk actually as a word was first used in 1655 um, is actually a noun and was first actually derived from the French so risque everyone's basically kind of heard that word before uh, and then also even from Italian which is more of risco so there's several de definitions I'm going to read which is basically straight from Webster um, none of which actually I think are actually do a great job of actually defining truly what risk is um, because it's more complex than you first give it credit. So the first is basically the possibility of loss or injury, or you can think of it as peril. Um, a second is basically someone or something that creates or suggests a hazard. Uh, the third is basically a chance of loss or perils to the subject matter of an insurance contract. Mm -hmm. So very quite specific. Um, and then finally, the chance at an investment. So such as a stock or commodity that will lose value. So if you've followed the common thread behind all four of those definitions, you see the idea that basically it's much more of a negative, which that indeed actually is not true. Risk doesn't necessarily have to be negative. So there's another definition that I'm actually going to give you. And it actually, it comes from a, uh, through doing some research, actually a company that's called Risk um, Integration Management. It's out of Australia and out of Melbourne. But um, I think it's actually a really interesting way in terms of which and how they've actually defined it. So people, people actually, and this is what they say, people often use the term risk as a purely negative word. But as explained, um, is actually uh, is really defined as an effect of uncertain on objectives. So that's mm -hmm. really all that it is, is the fact that you're uncertain in terms of what's going to happen as a result of your actions. So this can mean it can, it can encapsulate both positive as well as negative potential effects. Uh-huh. And as such, the two different terms um, are used to quantify the term risks uh, in order to kind of differentiate between positive and negative uncertainties. Absolutely. I think when you think about, and I think we will discuss it a little bit more, you think of the risk that Harry is taking, especially going into the coronation, and why we here has been speculating why we think that our princess did not join him. And so the risk that she herself taking, sorry about that. And you looked in at the risk that the media and King Charles 
and Kamala are taking at this moment. So please continue. So yeah, so as I said, there's actually two different terms in order to kind of qualify what risk really mean in order to kind of differentiate them, right? So those are actually risks that are more of opportunities and the potential impact are actually positive on whatever objective or project you're trying to do. And then you actually have those as threats, which basically have a negative impact. And I think that's how you have to more um, accurately understand the term is that there are ways in which basically are more calculated risks. And as you go through that, and when you start thinking from more of a project management um, kind of point of view, you realize that some risks are actually very good because they lead to opportunities um, and the likelihood and advancement of growth. And it's how you actually kind of um, understand those risks and be able to balance those out that actually going to make all the difference in the world. That's right. So, and I think that actually relates very easily back into what obviously Harry and Megan are doing now. So they had to, you know, weigh the, the risks and threats behind themselves of saying, okay, well, what happens if I don't go versus if they do? And so I know there's a lot of big debate in terms of, you know, what people feel they should have done or what they shouldn't be doing. My Which own, we'll mention. Yeah. We'll my own about. personal opinion, just to kind of jump ahead of it, is that it's a family decision. And so they have to, you know, that we have to understand that um, whatever decision that they made, they ha- they made with all the understanding that they have of what's best for their own situation that we may not necessarily have privy. Into. When you say family, I, I, I'm not so sure I understand where you're coming from with that, because one of the issues that I, you know, I have, <clears throat> I wanted to get into that a little bit later, um, but since we all seems to it just come up, so we'll talk about it, is that it seems to be convenient when people talk about the institution and the family. And probably which one of the problems that Harry himself find, you know, sort of because you have the institution and you have family, but they are all in one, right? So I don't, in my opinion, it's only in words. There's no structure of family here. And I, and I, and, and I think for who these people are, it's very hard to look at any decision that made, not that I know any one of them, that's made based on family. It's based on the institution, the needs of the institution. And so for me, I don't know... I know you saying that you know what the decision that you know what Harry and 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 Megan made is based on their own family structure and what is going on. To me, I think it's even more than that. I think it's in who they are, who they represent, what they are about. And I know the discussion in the Sussex squad is that whether or not it was the right thing for Harry to go. Obviously, I didn't watch any of the debate that was going on social media. You know, I've only second, second um, hand, you know, sort of knowledge from the discussion Baron was having. And it was very obviously that, you know, there was an issue because everybody, you know, at this point, or in their feelings, you know, how we feel, because we're very protective. And so I'm not here to tell people how they should think. 
how they should feel or even advising anyone. But what I will say is for our supporters and people that will believe in the cause and who are supporting them because we see the abuse that they endure, <clears throat> we also understand very clearly how important the work that they are doing and we want to support them. But we also, what I will probably not really advise that we should think of. At the end of the day, these decisions are not easy for them. They're not just regular people. Everything that they do come at a risk, a risk on their own. And they also happen to be a part of the so-called family. That is not just a family. The symbol of it all. And they have to wait on how they should function, what they should say, where they should go. Should they go, not go? You know, how should they do it? But for me, I think we are at a point right now when it comes to Harry, because it's very obvious Harry would love to have a, a relationship, you know, um, with his family. And he wants his kids to have a relationship with the people of England. The problem is for Harry, and that is very clear. It's security, number one. Second, that he wants to be able to have a conversation that is not going to be licked. But security, it's at forefront. The reason why the men left and took his family to safety it's because he didn't want the same thing that happened to his mother happened to his wife. So I have to believe whatever the decision this man made. I don't want to be like the press, the media, that who sort of kind of like, you know, looking at him as though this soldier, this man that went and fight and was willing to give his life, not just for his country, for everyone, somehow that he cannot make a decision. And obviously we're not there with him. We don't know what goes through. And if you want to even go further than that, okay, when you looked at, how long it takes for them to give their answers. It was very clear. There was a lot going on. And, and there was a lot conversation behind the scene that we're probably not aware of, don't know about. But what I can tell you, or what I can, from, from outside looking at in, I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know what, you know, cause he make this decision or they make that decision. But what I will tell you that I've noticed that, you know, they have done. First, you hear Charles, you know, a victim. And you wonder why. That was dumb. That was stupid. Like there, there's something that just did not make sense about that kind of announcement. It was shocking. It was really weird. And you're like, why? The second thing that you know what you hear 
right before they make an announcement, the announcement was that <clears throat> first there was second there was pressure, a lot of pressure. They need they need they need to sort of you know RSVP. They need to do that. They need you know how rude had this and had that. Then the following report was somehow Kate. It was so hard for her that she had to share a car. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing for the walkabout. And you're starting looking at this report. And as you're putting it together, something that's very clear to me. Oh, no, let, let's forget about, you know, sort of the fact that he didn't have time for his son when Harry was in England. You put those three reports together. What comes clear to you? Because the way I'm looking at it, if you take his house, and that is the only safe place because he doesn't have, you know, from what we know, I don't know the logistic of everything, but what I, from based on what's reported, that he's not, beside the securities that he have here, he doesn't have security over there. The last security that he had over there was, you know, provided by the queen that was no longer there. So if you remove the safe place where he can be, so you force him, him and his wife and his kid to be at a place that's going to be unsafe. That's how I'm looking at it. Why would he want to do that? Why would he want to go to England, the home that was given to him as a gift, you're a victim, and then you want him to come with his wife, and you're not going to provide securities? In my opinion, there is that. And the second part was the idea, allegedly, Kate had any issues. Were there any issues? Why would that come out now? In my opinion, I don't believe that is to be true. And I hope that, you know, she did not say that. And if she did, when you looked at when Princess Megan got out of the car, I think the expectation was she was going to be booed. Something was going to happen to her. They left her completely exposed. And you could see how nerve-wracking it was. And you could see how relaxed the other two was. But guess what? God was present. Princess Diana was present. The opposite happened. People start applauding. And I think they were shocked. I don't think they understand it. I think they buy in into everything that the media is told them, that they are the most hated people. And that did not happen besides just one person that make a fool out of themselves. It did not happen. She had a hug. She was well-received. Maybe that's what gave them a headache. And so for me, I'm looking at all these symbols 
There is something at play here. And this man, I think now, the soldier, make a decision. He has no choice. And when I say I no choice, meaning that, you know what, what it mean for him because he, he, he was born a prince, he will die a prince. And there's a responsibility that come with that. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, that's who he is. And that is his father. And I'm sure him not there would symbolize something and him there will symbolize something. So in my opinion, this is not my place. I have to, to tell them whether he should and shouldn't. What I do know, his family, his wife and his kids, every decision that he made, Every risk he taking, it's for his family. And I have to trust and believe and support him. So I hope when we looking at these two people and talk about whether or not what we or we would have done or, sh- or what they should do and should not, at the end of the day, we got to allot them and not be like the media try to think for them and understand and believe on them. They have to deal with it. And all we can do is pray and support because it's not easy. It's not easy. This decision, it's not easy. And I'm sure many of us have been in place where we make certain decisions Probably not what we would like to make, what our family would like to make. And there is a reason why we feel like we have to sort of make these decisions. And we have to trust and believe thus far they have done a very good job with the very little that they have. And we have helped them along the way to be able to make this difficult decision. And I will hope the squad, we are continue. We pray for them. We care for them and love them. But give them the space to be able. And we're not going to agree on everything that they do. We probably will wish that they would not. But we have to respect it. Because we are not on the phone with them. We are not on the phone with them. And it cannot be easy. It cannot be easy because even here in the space that, you know what, we are here occupying, whether it's Ivy, whether it's, it's, it's uh, uh, um, from um, UK, whether it's, it's Baron. One of the wonderful things that he says um, the other day, he reminding us that, you know, look, there is a lot I would like to say, but that I cannot say. Because I am a public person now. And when you think about that, that kind of decision, you know, even here, we have to, there's so much that we have to remember. There's so much, there is a responsibility here on every decision that, you know, we make. And it's not an easy one. 
and I know some of you know our viewers probably would like us to talk about certain subject or go deeper into certain subject. But there's so much we can do. We're going to do the best we can because the responsibility is on us. So I just hope that, you know what, we think of those things and put the cause first. And the cause is, is to make sure that, you know, not just that we are praying for them, we are standing up and fighting with them, but we are fighting for the cause and understanding that, you know, this is, this is hard, what they are doing. It's very, very hard. I'm sorry I take such a long... No, not apologize. You're on a roll. Please go ahead and help <laughs> me here. No, I think I think you guys are both, um, Lady Sussex and Charles, you both are on point with, with everything you've said about risk. And as I've listened to you both and having looked at the word a little bit before, the I think the definitions feel like they fall short to Charles's point, because at the end of the day, risk is a very complicated, nuanced uh, thing. Uh, it is both measurable and immeasurable. It is uncertainty. But if you say measurable uncertainty, if you me- if you can measure uncertainty, then is it really uncertain? And I think, for me anyway, the easiest uh, way to get it right in my mind is actually to go back to what you might learn if you if you study financial economics and you look at the stock market <clears throat> the way prices are are set up in the stock market and how um, uh, analysts will look at future price is they break it down into at least just a oh, way oversimplified they break part of it down into two buckets uh, one is called alpha one's called beta and for again to way oversimplify it and feel free to add in comments how I, how I did a disservice to this um, but the beta in in effect is risk uh, meaning uncertainty variability that is forecasted it is the measured aspect of it whereas alpha uh, is the variability that you can't uh, or at least the market itself is not effectively forecasting or predicting so if you are able to capture alpha in this case you get above expected returns on your investment and so i think that for me anyway is is at least a helpful way to say yes when you talk about risk it is uncertainty it is variability it is change and it is not to charles's point it's not necessarily good it's not necessarily bad it could be one way or the other Um, but for me it's the, the importance of it is thinking about to what extent can you predict it to what extent can you measure it to what extent can you plan for it uh and to do your best to say yes this is the things that i know that that may happen and that i can uh think about probability and and how to then make decisions based on that but it is always also important to say yes there's also a part that i cannot fundamentally uh predict there is a limit to reason and uh and rational thought to be able to 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 postulate all of the potential uh, outcomes that may arise. And so I think it's, to your point, Lady Sussex, it is understandable for so many people to be so worried for Harry, given the the decision. Um, But I also think it is important to also reiterate uh, risk is something that we take every single day when we get up and we walk outside 
our houses. There's there's a risk in every single thing that we do, and there's a risk in the choice in the decisions to go one way or another. One whatever you do, there's always going to be a risk, and there's always going to be consequences. And uh, we have to have faith in in both Harry and in Megan that, uh, especially with all of the amazing education and training that each of them have, and and the experience that they've now gone through together, that they have it uh, in hand to do the best they can to know what they can account for what they can plan for when it comes to risk and to know what they can't and then to make the best decision that they can for themselves and for their family. All right, Charles, is there anything else that risk can tell us? It could be either you as well, um, George. The one, just as a funny aside that I'll add, (laughs) just because we don't have too much time to go through the whole article, but there's an interesting journal article called The Evolution of the Concept of Risk. Uh, And it's just interesting because at least according to this article, it it quotes the uh, Oxford English Dictionary saying that the first uh, quoted appearance was in around 1687. uh, And it was, quote unquote, lately the king risked both his kingdoms for offering to imprison Flanders. So the fact that the first uh, example of it was a king risking his kingdom, um, it it again reiterates the importance of each of us, in particular right now, the soon-to-be King Charles, uh, studying history. Charles. No, I mean, I think that we kind of covered it up. I think it's just a question of, you know, we could go further down the rabbit hole in terms of trying to identify kind of the different attitudes and, and attributes of risk. But I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, there's a qualitative aspect to it as well as a quantitative aspect to it. And everyone everywhere does their best to try and understand kind of both of those aspects. And I think the better that you're at, the better that you can actually do that, the, uh, the stronger the outcomes. And I think that um, we just have to respect people's um, right to be able to do that for their own family and for their own sake. Okay. So let's continue with risk still. So what are the risks that you guys think the media, they are taking or undertaking on behalf of this institution who seems to be either not listening or who is doing things that not too long ago we'll say breaking protocol, so to speak. And what is that doing to, how do they call them? The, 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 the prince called them um, their subject. Well, I think to... To, to start with, the one of the risks, not 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 just uh, the implications or the consequences of the risk that they're taking, but the nature of the risk that the media is taking is something that everyone is taught from a very early age, and there's tons of adages about it, uh, uh, taught not to do, which is to put all of your eggs in one basket. Um, and from day one, they have put everything on attacking Megan and building on that even more recently with attacking Harry as well. Uh, and the, the attempt to succeed through character assassination of Megan, um, 
I think that that strategy, they, they double down, they put everything, they put all of what they're trying to do on the idea of defaming her and convincing people, trying to convince people that she's actually a bad person. And I think the risk that they take on is one, just the reality of the fact that it's baseless, but two, the fact that they, the two of them in particular, Harry and Meghan, are able to support each other and with all of the, the community that's around them to be able to withstand that treatment and to come out the better for it, which would, in fact, question the very legitimacy of the entirety of the tabloid media and how it's all working. So they're, in effect, you could say they're risking everything on what they're doing. Charles. Not well... Yeah, I mean, when you start thinking about it, it's, um, you know, as George was saying, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket or betting it all on red, and uh, it's certainly that aspect. But what you also have is just um, the idea behind kind of what they're meant to be, right? Because I think their entire approach to this, you know, to Megan and the entire affair is is fairly risky because you they, they no longer... Um, well, they just expose themselves to what they really are, which is basically completely biased and, um, and out of touch. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, look, you know, how, you know, how important, how much of a voice should they really be having? And then this is one of the reasons why, you know, this channel as well as others have spawned up is as a result of the fact that, you know what, we don't think they're doing a very good job. So I think they they are risking a lot in their approach just because um, it's it's so transparent about what their agenda is, and it's not a good agenda. Well, but where does that leave us? A media that's willing to risk said all, but for what though? For what? That is my question. For what? Why are they willing to risk? Is it a situation where? as they call this generation or or the generation at large being woke, right? And the opposite of woke is asleep. So was it always like that and being able to get away with it because of the power that they have? And obviously everybody was sleeping. And then now, you know, sort of it's not working anymore. And that is the reason why they just call Hook. It's just kind of like, it's us that's awake. But really, this is business as usual for them. Is that that situation? Or is there something else there that we are not seeing or we are not saying? Because that is your dress. Because if you are coming into a place where people are starting realizing that you lie. We can't trust you. That you have an agenda that's only work for you. You're really not here for us. And if your whole idea, your whole sort of job is really making money, even you're even losing money now. You know, the control you once have is starting chipping away. But I think... And I- you still... Pushing, you're not changing something. I think that's that's what's actually probably the maybe scariest isn't the right word, but mo- one of the most concerning parts of it is that you look at it and you say this 
is the risk that they're taking. They're risking everything. They're losing money. They are putting it in jeopardy their own legitimacy, their own uh, role that they have in society. And you say, okay, they're not just completely emotionally driven uh, non-rational actors. These are large corporations that have a lot of resources that go into their decision-making process. And so where it actually leads you, if you think about it, for them to continue down the path that they are, to continue taking those risks, it goes back to the importance of understanding that word risk to begin with, is that it is not uh, something that is simply this superfluous, oh, the, something bad may happen. But it is actually, uh, a, a large part of it is measurable and uh, planable. And the term Charles used at the beginning is calculated. So if they are continuing to do that as a as a calculated risk, then what is the rest of the picture that we may not be privy to, that we may not be seeing, given our vantage point, that they may be seeing, uh, especially in relation to this new queen who somehow has gotten herself to be elevated to the same level as the king, uh, who has on her coronation invitation this symbol of rebirth with a brand new change in religion, with a whole new countercultural, all of this, these ideas. What is that? How do you combine those two ideas to say what is it that the media is able to have in mind? to continue to justify these calculated risks. But is it fair to say that the risk it's to break power to gain power and that gaining the power that they will gain, it's outweigh the power that they are losing or fighting. Exactly. Is that is that is that fair to say? I think that's a fair. I think that's a very fair question, and I think that's the that's the that's the point of it, right? the The fact is that they may seem to be losing in so many ways, but if they are proactively accounting for that risk and calculating for it, what does that mean in terms of how do we think about this upcoming event in nineteen days and the significance of the interaction? between Camilla and the media. Because when you think of these people, right, they run on power. Why would they willing to risk that power unless if it's something bigger? And that's something bigger. It's the the crown for themselves. That holds a whole power, right? They sign laws, right? The money. Everything. So is it fair to say Sussex Squad Nation, Charles and Joy, to see it that way? Or am I going into the deep end and chasing the rabbit hole, deep in the hole? and not being able to come back. I don't think you're going down the too deep down the rabbit hole at all. And I think uh, it's something we were just talking about earlier to think about what is, um, what is it that we should be paying attention to as it relates to how the media is operating and portraying 
just the state of Britain and the state of the economy in the terms of the timeline with the coronation. Absolutely. And we will come to what our opinion. So I think it's fair to take a quick break. And when we come back, what I would like us to do is to actually sort of look at all that risk. What is it for? What is it at stake? And how do they come back from it? And is it fair to say, because they're really fighting a good fight to get what it is that they wanted, who they want to be at play here. And it's very obviously this woman, they want her to be there. There's no way if the media, I don't care how smart, how brilliant, how incredible of a mistress that she was, the unforgiving media would have let her get away with as much as she have done, especially, let's just say for whatever, let's just say they didn't have anything at all on this woman, not after spare, not after spare. So we'll come back. And to close out the service, but will give us, you know, uh, assess. And so, Charles, would you like to read a verse that can explain where we are? Sure. Well, the first one that I have actually is about risk. So it's from Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. So taking a little bit more of a positive side, but it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Charles, George, so as we closing the service... Obviously, we are, what, less than three weeks away. And we see what is the media is doing. I don't think now they can no longer say, oh, why they don't just shut up? Why don't they cannot say that anymore? They cannot say that, you know what, they don't want Megan out for money because really right now what they are screaming about, where is she? Why is she? She's in a hiding. She's expecting, like, like literally, they were going crazy. Why she's not out? Why she's not with her husband? Why she's gonna let him, you know, come by itself? And and oh my God, it going on and on for someone that they were tired hearing from. They literally have absolutely nothing to see. They are not gonna have the picture they wouldn't normally have that will making tons of money. They overplay their hand big time, in my opinion. But they must push on because we are three weeks away and I believe things going to change and they are getting 
what they want. But I also, before I pass it on to you guys, should we start now looking at what Nostradamus, what Nostradamus had saying, someone will be king, maybe it's a queen that we did not expect to be. And I think a lot of us had speculated maybe it's Harry. But what if it's Queen Kamala? Should did did that prediction already happen when they announce her as queen? So I leave it to you guys to tell me is that was worth all the risk the media staking. Is that what it's all about? I don't think we have enough information to make that call yet. Because at the end of the day, you have to understand both sides of the equation to be able to determine whether or not it was worth it. So at this point, we know, okay, well, what what the outgoing risk is. So what basically are the negatives, but we don't necessarily know everything that they're going to be able, what, what they think they're going to be able to get out of it because clearly they wouldn't have um, pushed so hard unless there was a huge return in it for them. But so, let, let we'll, us say if they did get away with it, how would they get out of that situation to make it better? What, what would it be now then their strategy? Because now they're getting their queen. Okay. They get what they want. So then now, what what next? Well, it sounds like they, I mean, she's been the inside guy or inside person for 50 years. So what's stopping well, her? Well, we from, don't know. Allegedly. We, we well, I mean, that, well, yeah, that's true. It's alleged and it's been in, reported in multiple sources that basically she has been a huge source for the press. So, you know, what's to stop her from leaking anything else? Allegedly. George. I think it's um I think it's a important question. Uh both both of them. One is should we be thinking about Nostradamus's uh prediction actually having potentially already come true but just in a different way than previously imagined. And also if the media has made this calculated risk and continue to make this calculated risk then what? And I think we should be proactively thinking about what does that look like in both scenarios. In it working out for them, then what should we expect to be seeing in terms of how they start talking about the world and the state of things and how jolly good everything is going to be and, and if, in fact, they do get their way. Um, and also, what does it mean if if it doesn't? If it doesn't go exactly according to whatever plan that they have? Uh, and what does that look like? And how do we best take care of each other, of Harry and Meghan, of uh, actually stewarding this society so that it can be one of love. Uh, and what does that actually look like? So I think that's something that we need to spend more time thinking about. Absolutely. And what about you? What do you think? Oh, my God. I don't think you guys want to know what I really think. Um, obviously, the past 
couple months, maybe a couple years now, watching everything at play, things get harder and pushing and pushing and pushing. And we're still asking these questions. We are looking at words and try to figure out the only thing. Nothing really seems to make sense and still is not making any sense. But I'm like, how? I think I don't know why they're doing it. I'm not sure why they're doing it. But I have an idea how they may be able to get away with it. And again, I am, I don't have any information or any concrete thing to actually say to make that kind of statement that I'm about to make. But it just, I don't think you need to be a scholar to actually, you know, make that kind of statement. You know what I mean? And to me, the only thing that seems to make sense, in my opinion, only my opinion, is that the only way they may be able to get away with it, or maybe that's what is at play here, if we can get the person that we want, the person that we need to be there at all course, then now we have to so-called serve the people. We have to make the people love us. We have to make the people accept us. How would we do that? Then I'm looking at, well, looked at if everything was great in England, we probably would not have Queen Camilla. We probably would not have even King Charles, maybe. I don't know. But things are not good. And so what happened if things did become good what happened afterwards things starting be nice and then all of a sudden you hear the media telling us what an incredible job the queen had done because of the queen we have hns back because of the queen we have this because of the queen what do you think would happen People start accepting. People start loving. She's one of us. She's fighting for us. She's, in my opinion, that is the only way that I could see the next play will be for them in order to make this work for them. I don't know. I know it's completely crazy. It's completely lack of sleep. <laughs> it's it's beyond anything I should be saying here. But you asked me a question. In my opinion, I'm going to answer that the best of my ability because anything that goes Anything that goes down must go up. And very often people get rewarded and then particularly do nothing.
right? People get rewarded for not doing anything at all, but they are part of that success. Everybody's looking at me with stunned face like I said something bad. No, no. I think it's exactly right. I think timing is everything and the fact that uh, correlation and causation not being the same things, if, if things start looking great, they will either manufacture it or otherwise. They will certainly try to uh, make her seem like she's the, the root cause of it. And that would, that would be the, the perfectly logical next step for them to do. If that really is the plan. And I would not be surprised. Even during that time, then that's when you're studying hearing that they're reaching out, they'll open the door for, you know, Harry and Meghan and all that and want to have that kumbaya sort of family thing because now we are in control. We got what we want and now we're going to play the game with you. Now we're ready to play with you because you can't damage us. I don't know. I th- I th- I'm completely know that I went to the deep end. Sussex Red Nation, I apologize again. I've not slept for three days. But I just feel like, what then? Guys, there is silence here. You guys scaring me. No, I think because of the thing is, it is huge it is hugely significant and it is so there's such a finality to the coronation that that date that it is getting closer and closer and to what you just said there's it is a complete paradigm shift in in power structures in relationships in all of the 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 quote of sort of corollary um just relational implications of how everything works together. Everything just fundamentally changes once they cross that threshold. And so how do we actually start to think about it and and plan for it? Well, I think that's where we should leave it because you asked asked me this question that completely sent me to the rabbit hole. And so I make the best of it, but I know this is not what it is. I know we're going to continue asking questions. We all continue um, looking at those words, continue and watch what they're doing. And we are going to pray for Harry as he step up and do what he needs to do as a father, as a soldier, as an Englishman, as a friend, and as a son. And a husband. And as a prince. And as a prince. So we're going to pray. We're going to walk with him. We're going to be there with him all the way. And so we're going to leave you, Sussex Squad Nation, with a... Wonderful verse and a great song, A Thousand Little Miracle. George, can you please uh, lead us to prayer 
after Charles read the last verse, please. Sure. So the last verse actually has to do with uh, symbolism, and it's from Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearances of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Thank you. Josh, please leave us to prayer. God, please be with Harry, Megan, Doria, Archie, Lily. This was an incredibly difficult decision we imagine that it must have been for them to make. Uh, and we know that you were there with them, helping them make the right one. We pray that you stay with them, that you give them the strength that they need in the coming weeks, and that you stay with all of us. Stay with the rest of the Sussex squad. Stay with the rest of the royal family. Stay with, be with everyone at this time over these next three weeks, which is going to have huge implications for all of us. Be with us so that we can be our best selves for each other, for Harry, for Megan, for the entire family, so that we can continue to support the fight to make this world a better place, one of love and compassion, one of understanding, one of faith. We pray, as always, in particular for those who are affected by a changing climate, by disaster, by hardship, by all of the things that sometimes make us question why. We pray that you be with them, that you give them strength. And we pray that you, as always, give us the clarity that we need. Give us the time to pause and think and to reflect. And and of course, we thank you for everything that we have. Amen. So we'll leave you this wonderful Sunday with a wonderful song, Million Little Miracle. And I think the song says a lot. And I think of Harry And I know he will make us part as he's always have been. And I know Diana, Princess Diana, will be with him. The Lord will be with him all the way. And we, the Sussex squad, will be with him. Happy Sunday. May God bless you all. Take care of your mental health and be safe. Good day.